It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Are you ready for pain? Are you ready for suffering? If the answer is yes, then you're ready for junk food cinema. Hi, this is Dick Miller. You're listening to Junk Food Cinema on Film School Rejects. Who are these guys? Hopefully the answer is junk food cinema right here on filmschoolrejects.com. Dot com. Dot com. You're listening to junk food cinema right now on the Blog Talk Radio Network. So uh, stretch out and get comfortable because there's a lot of content here, including our entire back catalog now on iTunes, which is awesome. You can also, of course, talk to us on Twitter at junk food cinema or on Facebook, facebook.com slash junk food cinema, all that good stuff. Uh, I'm Brian, and uh, I'm joined as per usual by my friend and co-host, uh, Mr. C. Robert Cargill. Hi, and this week we have another special guest. This is a summer of riches, my friend. It really is. Uh, for those of you that uh, remember our RoboCop episode a few weeks ago, we had one of my good friends, Brian Brushwood, on, and this week... He had so he had so much fun on the show that he told his partner in crime on his uh, one of his shows, Night Attack, Mr. Justin Robert Young, how much fun he had. And so when Justin got in town, he's like, hey, uh, can I come and get in on this podcast thing? So, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Justin Robert Young. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Very, very happy to be here. And you are uh, you are on your tour right now because you are actually doing a Kickstarter at the moment, right? I, I am. Uh, Action News is my new tabletop game. So anybody uh, I don't know if it's a uh, card game. Yeah. Yeah. I don't uh, know if a if, social card game, right? Like a uh, party game. Yeah, I think would be a way a way to say it. We did a Kickstarter about two years ago for a game called The Contender, the game of presidential debate. So we took everything that we learned from that and put it into this which is Action News, the game of television news. It's the game we can't legally say is Anchorman the Game. Uh, because it's definitely, you not, just did. it's definitely not Anchorman the Game. It I certainly isn't a bunch of people sitting around being funny involving <laughs> uh, a news broadcast. Absolutely. You and your friends are anchors and reporters. The anchor distributes real news stories, one sentence of which is what you have to read. You then, uh, in the center of you, have a bunch of sentence fragments, refrigerator magnet poetry, your script together, everybody reads it. Best person who read it gets to be the new anchor, and you get a little token that lets you screw with all the other reporters throughout the rest of the game. But we're super proud on it, uh, proud about it, and it's actionnewsgame.com is where you can find and, it. 
actionnewsgame.com. Mm-hmm. See, and I hope that you parlay the success of Action News into creating the actual uh, Running Man Home Edition. Because <laughs> I want to know game. how you play that. Because this week we're talking about the fucking Running Man. Yes! Of course we are. And, and, and I also love the fact that, you know, we had Brushwood on. Prior to that, we had Jason Murphy. And now you're on the show. Yeah. So we are slicing our way through the heads of the Brian Brushwood Hydra. Yeah, just one at a time. Oh, yeah. No, no. For me, yeah. Here on out, you know, Bryce and Brian, his, uh, his, his, uh, his editors and producers. We've got his third grade uh, science teacher will be coming on next week. I don't, I don't, I don't know if that will work because I think so far we've only had people on that I've, I've drank really good scotch with. Sure, and I haven't drank really good scotch with them, so I don't know if that they'll be guests. That's it. That's it, That's boys. It. One day you'll become men. One day you will have scotch. I love that you're <laughs> acting like the list of people you haven't drank scotch with isn't the size of a cocktail napkin. <laughs> sure, you found one. You found the only people in the world that you have not drank scotch with. This is this is this is truth. Uh, but no, so we are talking about the Running Man this week. In the year 2017, an innocent man. Accused of a crime has a choice. Hard time or prime time. Sensational. Perfect contestant. I want him. He must pay or play the running man. On your mark! I'll be back. Go! The highest rated TV show in history. It's a game between life and death. Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Running Man. He's playing for a prize. The prize is his life. The Running Man. And and talk about a perfect midsummer uh, movie for us. There are so many junk food alums in this. Oh yeah, uh, uh, so many JFC alums, uh, so many JFC alums from this summer. Oh like, yeah, that's absolutely. the thing about this movie is this this movie bring it reunites two actors together who we just talked about a few weeks ago. It we we see an actress come back from uh, uh, in another movie in her big summer, the summer that would break her and and get her more work uh, and. Um, and of course, it's directed by a junk food alum. So let's get into this bad boy and dissect among what is among one of the more fun films of the summer of 87. Now, I want you to take a little journey with me because this is a dystopian film. It takes place in the far off dystopian future of 2017, 2017, <laughs> where you cannot trust anything that is talked about on the news. And the most powerful man in the world is a corrupt game show. Host. Oh, oh, you want to you want to get into this? You want to? Oh, we'll get into this. Uh, I got this, a list of no shit. no resemblance to 2017. I got a list of eerie shit that we can oh, just go piece by piece. Right. Let's yeah. do it. Let's go, get go, go. let's get into let's get into the far flung future of 2017. Imagine a, a a future where reality TV is the biggest source of entertainment and not just reality TV, but reality TV that Asks and and really kind of revels in the suffering of others. Imagine that future. Imagine a future where, yes, a game show host is the most powerful man in the country. Fucking wrap your tiny little minds around that. Oh, oh, and where the president would have an agent. Our president currently has a fucking agent. <laughs> that was like the most ridiculous thing about this future that has uh, been proven to be prophetic. 
this and of course where a totalitarian government kind of controls everything there is a, a small hashtag resistance that uh, the, the government is trying to get rid of and enter our hero Ben Richards continuing the tradition of Arnold fucking Schwarzenegger being given the most red white and blue American names for a guy that could not be less American <laughs> if he tried ben Richards. I am Ben Richards I'm Ben Richards <laughs> I did not change my name when I got here. I was born in Iowa. I like to go to Six Flags and things of this nature. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, I, I, I always like to get the deep fried corn at the state <laughs> the fair. The corn at the state fair. <laughs> yeah. And things of this nature. <laughs> this movie could be described as deep fried corn, so, by the way. So let's begin at the beginning. This a movie, good place to start. This movie is adapted by a story of the same name written by Richard Bachman. Who ever yeah. heard of him? Yeah. Who's, who's Richard Bachman? Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, for those 12 of you that don't know, that It's was, actually Dean Koontz. That was the... <laughs> That was the pen name of Stephen King. Stephen King wanted to prove to himself that he could write um, and still sell books uh, without his his you know being the big name, uh, and uh, and he did all right, but not great. Okay, now we say it's adapted from this this story by Richard Bachman. I have sweatpants from when I weighed three bills that are less loose than the adaptation <laughs> of this story because when you really get into the the narrative of the storyline this looks nothing like the running man story whatsoever no however i think the awesomeness of it is it does look like another junk food uh 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 classic that we have dealt with directed by the same director so the director also an alum so yes this is based on a stephen king story so you know junk food alum right there this is a paul michael glazer movie i have to stop you did you ever think in the three years ago when we started doing this podcast did you ever think that we would cover not one but two films directed by starsky from starsky and hutch oh we <laughs> i would i assume we're probably going to do at least four because i know the third at some point i'm going to get you to talk about the cutting edge like that is a thing that's going <laughs> oh, to fucking nice. happen because i love the fucking cutting edge and I, I uh, and, and I will fight for that movie till my dying day um, which he also directed and has more montages in it than all the Rocky movies put together shut um, the fuck up uh, so but so Paul Michael Glazer you'll remember directed uh, our summer of 86 film Band of the Hand Band of the Goddamn Hand and what we loved about Band of the Hand was that what's interesting about that movie is that every act was a completely different film. So the opening <laughs> act is a group of teens getting together, um, you know, being brought together. It's a, you know, and kind of a group man in a mission, like coming together movie. The second act is saving the, uh, uh, saving the rec center. And the third act is the assault on the drug Lords crime, you know, cop movie. <laughs> um, this movie is, is structured the exact same way. If I asked you what this movie was about, you'd be you'd tell me that it is about a guy who gets captured and has to go on a sadistic game show where he has to kill a bunch of guys who are stalling him trying to kill him. No, that's the second act of The Running Man. That's the second movie of The <laughs> Running is, Man. Oh, yeah, that is no, only no. the second act of The no, Running there's, Man. There's a whole hour of this movie before <laughs> you get to The Running Man. Well, it's yeah. half an hour. It's ha it's 30 minutes before we get into The Running Man and that's an escape that's a prison escape movie. Yes. And yeah. that's a man on the 
Run movie, and then it becomes The Running Man, and then at the end of the second act, The Running Man's over, and it becomes the assault on the TV station. Oh, it's once again it the follows, assault on the drug compound. It follows the it follows the franchise structure of a very popular YA novel series that got turned into movies uh, with Katniss Everdeen. So you could call this the Runger Games because it follows from start to finish. Almost the entirety of the franchise of the Hunger Games, where it's like, first it's about uh, the, the totalitarian government and trying to live in that world and being fucked over by them. And then you're in the game, and then it's just all about trying to bring down, um, uh, tr- try to bring no, no, down you're the absolutely 100% correct. You know, that was one of the big criticisms of the Hunger Game was people kept comparing it to uh, Battle, Battle Royale. Royale. Yeah. It's not Battle Royale. It's it's fucking the running man. If yeah. if Jennifer Lawrence had just dropped one or two more one-liners, people would have made the correct comparison to Running Man. Out with the light. Here is Sub Zero. Now Plane Zero. What happened to Baza? Uh, he had to split. His pun work in this is fucking on point. It's oh, dude. It's 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 the entirety of, of 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 the script. I guess that's the thing. It's been a long time since I've seen it, and I always you always remember it in the abstract as this. Oh, this is great sci-fi world building, and of course Richard Dawson's performance is just like the the most dominant part of the film. But I forgot he that, had to split. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Have a lift. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, and it just doesn't stop. It's like... Now Sub-Zero is just plain zero. (laughs) This is a movie that doesn't believe in second takes because some of those one-liners, it's like, I see what you're going for, but I feel like I feel like we could do we could do a little bit of, of a touch up on that, make it a, a bit sharper. I feel I feel like this is probably like this is the post Commando era, and if any of you have ever watched the DVD special features on Commando, they actually have the five minute run of Arnold Schwarzenegger just sitting there doing line after line after he puts the pipe through the guy, which let off some steam. Yeah, and. He tried every iteration of that. You look a little hot under the collar. Oh, uh, really? Oh, Different God. lines. Oh, yeah. He did he, every t- he would do line after line after line, and then they would just use whatever worked. <laughs> and I really feel like that's what this is here. I feel like there's a oh. lot of people associated with this movie who are doing line after line after yeah. line after line. Um, uh, this isn't a Joel Silver movie. So, Correct. <laughs> so we don't get the... We don't right. get, no one else in the 80s did coke. You're right. Yes. Uh, it was only, <laughs> only Joel He Silver. did all the coke. There was no coke left for anyone else. I didn't know cocaine was a zero-sum game, but uh, apparently any coke Joel Silver didn't get, you know... No, but no, that what, what I feel like you're seeing and what you're talking about is he literally just did, like, I'm going to sit here and come up with three minutes of a joke for having killed this guy... And just run through it. And then Paul Michael Glazer sat down in the editing room and said, oh, this is the funny one. Got it. He had to split. So he really did only do that once. uh, Because I don't feel like this is a one-take movie in any other instance because some of the performances in this are really good. Oh, Oh yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, And uh, so many of the shots are done so well that I, I find it hard to believe that this was a movie that they did not, you know, that Paul Michael Glazer wasn't directing the shit out of. Which is impressive, considering he was fourth in line to direct this movie. There were two, there was one director selected and two other directors actually hired and then fired. So poor Paul Michael Glazer kind of inherited this thing that couldn't really, because the, the producer of this is Rob Cohen. Yes. 
who um, many of you may know as the director of the first Fast and the Furious movie. The only guy who didn't get what the Fast and the Furious movies were was the guy who directed the first one, I feel. I would, I would disagree with that. I would Because that's saying that the second and third Fast and Furious movies get what those movies are. Well, three was Tokyo Drift. Three yeah. was uh, when Lin comes on, though. And yeah. Lin is the guy that completely created that franchise. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, by the time he got to four, he was like, yeah. oh, this is what it is. And four is where that franchise really starts. But I feel like Rob Cohen invented something really cool but didn't quite know what people were... We're going to want Rob Cohen directed a movie that was just Point Break with cars. Yes, sure. Yes, that, he did. And then, but, but 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 he got the cast. And then it right? became like, Ocean's Eleven with cars. Yeah. True story. True story. By yeah. the way, uh, watch children as I complete this magic trick of shoehorning in an opportunity to talk about the Fast and the Furious franchise in any and all episodes. <laughs> I do. How do you do it? I don't know. So a magician never so reveals Rob his Cohen tricks. is the producer. Yes. So he had a very specific vision for this movie, and apparently the first couple directors hired. Didn't really feel that way. In fact, one of them wanted to take the entire movie and set it in a mall. And it was going to be sort of the running man in a mall. And Rob Cohen was like, fuck you and fuck that. You're fired. And that's when uh, Paul Michael Glazer came in, who had done a lot of television and obviously done Band of the Hand. And actually, Arnold Schwarzenegger's biggest problem with this movie is he felt like it was directed like a TV show. And I feel like somebody needs to shake Arnold Schwarzenegger and be like, the movie is about a fucking about TV a show. show. <laughs> That's actually entirely appropriate that that would be the approach because the whole point of this fucking movie is that you are trapped in a television show. And and wow, does he capture that essence of what 80s TV looked like? Oh my gosh, oh, yes. Yeah. Like and in fact, some of those great like one of my favorite shots from the movie is the shot where we're watching a screen and it's Arnold and another junk food alum who we did a whole episode on, Yafet Kodo. Kodo um walking away after they've just killed Sub Zero and they do the 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 hand slap. Yeah. And it's yeah. just so bad at like it is it is just shy of being the um uh, uh, the uh, the arm hug from Predator. Yeah, like it's that kind of cool. You know, but, but that was the thing that really sh uh, uh, got to me rewatching it was for uh, obviously a dystopic uh, uh, films are are big now, and they had a time in the eighties and nineties. This film kind of seems like it's. Uh, not to say that it's embarrassed of it, because obviously it dives head on in terms of the the Richard Dawson hosting and the Running Man and everything of showing the depravity of of humanity. But we learn about everything in a crawl, right? Yes. It's like the economy's done, everything's being hoarded, uh, people are living in squalor. They watch this screwed up show. Okay, now let's get. Well, to but that was that was so indicative of the era. Like that's, yeah. I mean, that was very much part of uh, the 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 Mad Max films. Yeah. You know, and uh, uh, hell, one of our our deep fried favorites from the beginning, uh, uh, the um, uh, uh, Battle the Truck. Oh, I was gonna, I was just gonna say after the fall of New York or after the fall of New any York, any given Italian post apocalyptic film where you are explained everything in a crawl, sometimes with three exclamation marks at the end of every sentence. <laughs> yes, and so so that was just very normal. It was just a way to get it out of the way and be like, we don't have to explain it. But 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 even then, when we're in you know, when they break out of the prison, yeah. right? You know, obviously there's futuristic stuff around there but it doesn't really seem like no one's saying like oh i have to get back to uh, saturn 12 you know or like you're, there's no like science fiction or, or dystopic elements where we're supposed to be like 
we're always brought more toward the present than we are yeah. the future, despite yeah. it being set. That's in, that's in a good point. Future. And can we talk about during that prison break? The beard on Schwarzenegger, that is a fantastic fucking beard that Hell we don't beard. get much in Schwarzenegger movies. No, no, no. And the beard plus the cigar. Oh, my God. Like that alpha male moment where he's sitting there and he just kind of tells everybody to go fuck themselves. It's he, like either blow me, just kill me or take this fucking thing off my neck. I don't give a shit. The, yeah. the beard that he's rocking, I feel like he is seconds away from rescuing grandmother from the big bad wolf. I mean, that fucking beard. <laughs> Is tremendous. And yes, yeah, so we get the prison break moment where they've got their Wild Wild West collars on. And if they go beyond the barrier, then their their heads explode. Yeah. Um, you know, and again, that's very science fiction. That's its own movie uh, that we burn through in about 10 minutes. Oh, yeah, no, no. That's literally the, the whole prison break and going on the run is 30 minutes of that movie. Yes. Um, yeah, which you're right. It could have just been like, oh, you, the big one. Congratulations. Yeah. You're in the running man now. Go ahead. But they, we get to see a bit of the outside world because what this really is, is this is very much like RoboCop. This is satire. This exactly. is very much tongue-in-cheek, but also trying to say something about where... Um, where our world was headed and it was right like it now granted it wasn't the first one to point out that reality television was going to become a thing that was network you know fucking 11 years before that but this is the first one that made it that kind of showed almost what what reality television would become uh 10 to 15 years later with things like Survivor and Big Brother. And yeah, we weren't fighting and killing each other. And climbing for dollars, which is in its fifth season now on TV, I think. <laughs> I'm not mistaken. <laughs> hosted, hosted by Ryan Seacrest. But, but, but just the idea of, of pushing physical boundaries for our amusement. Yeah. Which, which to that point you'd had quiz shows and stuff like that of people being under mental stress but nobody was like uh, you know people vomit on survivor people need to be airlifted on survivor and having people become super rabid fans of these normal people who are on these shows yeah like that was also something that would happen you know and it's so weird uh, the one that actually sticks out the most to me that the thing i find the most running man like uh in a weird way is the bachelor and the bachelorette holy shit that's so weird because when we when you were talking I was thinking about the way that there is a safety net still in reality television. We haven't gotten to the running man level because, be, Jesus Christ, I'm sorry I'm about to reveal this. I'm getting married, so you have to like just take my word for it that this is all part of when you get married and you have a significant other that's into this. Sh you, you fucking watch it with them. Yes, you do. So The Bachelor in Paradise um, was almost shut down. Because if you've never seen The Bachelor in Paradise, it's like take all the ridiculousness of The Bachelor, Bachelorette, amplify it and add a shit ton of alcohol. And all it is is like hookup island. And they almost it's shut just it a, down. It's just a culture colony for venereal diseases. Yes, sure. absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, it's true story. You know, reality television shows do not test for herpes. They just assume everybody has it. That's that's <laughs> Wait, I love how you start out with true story. How do you know this, Justin? Because I have a bunch of friends that work in reality TV. <laughs> wow. Let me just put it this way. It's not an accident that every 5 minutes on the Bachelor in Paradise they cut to a shot of a crab running across the beach. <laughs> because that island is full of crabs. But they almost shut it down because they pour alcohol into these people and encourage them to hook up. And there was a situation where 
two people got really drunk and then decided that the sex that they had may not have been consensual because of the amount of alcohol, and they almost shut that show down because of that. So there is still a safety net in reality television. We haven't gotten to the running man level just yet, but it's funny that you mentioned that because... But we do do have entire television shows based around making a life-altering decision based upon a random assemblage of a handful of members of the opposite sex. And hey, by the way, we hope this works out for you. They should call that show Wheel of Arranged Marriage because that's really all it is. (laughs) It's just a bunch of people who it's like, you're going to marry one of these people at the end because that's the point of the show, even though you shouldn't really pick a mate that way. But fine, go for it. Spin the wheel of arranged marriage. Uh, But really, it's also part of what it really, really gets right is not only the fact that this is fame, but this is fame as a career decision. And and when you uh, obviously he you know plays a, a role later in the movie, but your initial introduction into Jesse Ventura's character is not as this guy. It's the afterglow of his career in this reality television show. He's yeah. Yeah, he's Mr. Freedom. He's I, I have to say, I'm a little pissed off that you got 20 minutes into the episode before you even mentioned that I was in the goddamn movie. <laughs> uh, oh, because we were saving the bit that this is the, not the first, but the second of our Arnold Schwarzenegger, Jesse Ventura team-up movies. Oh my gosh. Like these are, these are, we get to see them. This is the summer that we got to see two yes. fucking governors. Two governors. <laughs> twice. Twice in the same summer in science fiction. There's films. another way it's prophetic right there. Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, listen, talk about a world leader or a, a big consequential uh, leader who had an agent. I, mean, I remember when Arnold Schwarzenegger stepped down as the uh, governor of California, his tweet was, I've informed my agency that they can now begin accepting uh, pitches for, for my post-governatorial yeah. well, you know, <laughs> well, career. If we want to get a little political for a second. Oh, um, good. Uh, no, very little. Uh, here we have a situation where the only way we can be saved from this, you know, corporate monstrosity that is misguiding America is, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who also happens to be part of the spearhead along with Barack Obama, uh, in creating an organization and fighting gerrymandering in this country so that we can actually return this country to, uh, a country in which we can actually elect our own officials, like this is something I uh, I don't get on a soapbox about a lot, but something that makes me angry on a regular basis is the fact that I live in the middle of Austin. Like you guys are sitting in my house right now. I'm smack dab in the middle of Austin here. I'm not downtown, but I'm just north of downtown. This yeah. is this is Austin proper. I love that you're afraid someone's going to be like that guy doesn't yeah. really Bullshit. live in Austin. No, no, no. Bullshit. This is this is important to note because the congressional district I'm in stretches all the way to the suburbs of Houston, which is a two and a half hour drive away. Like I am living in the 11th largest city in the nation and my constituency that I vote with is mostly rural people because Austin has been drawn into an octopus where not one district uh, has more than 26% Austinites in it. And it all goes out into the country to where, you know, uh, people in rural America uh, are actually do rural Texas are doing the voting for my con- because red, red state Texas doesn't want those liberal assholes in Austin making any kind of difference. So so uh, oh I, how did this soapbox get under yeah, me? Yeah, oh, yeah. oh my god, so, oh, Jesus. So they uh, so Arnold Schwarzenegger has teamed up with Obama to have a bipartisan uh, 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 group to go around and convince states to get rid of gerrymandering, and so it's like. 
once again, to fight this this menace, we turn to Arnold Schwarzenegger to fight this dystopian future where we have no control against our government. And, and I would say that I'll give uh, them about as good a chance as Richard Dawson gave uh, Ben in the running. Or, or as much chance as Arnold Schwarzenegger had when he took over on The Apprentice, which, by the way, is the other weird connection here. It really is. That we're talking oh about God, The Running yeah. Man and how that future kind of came true under this administration. And be- because we have a fucking game show host as a president, the other person who took over on that game show is the guy who stars in this movie. So let's talk about the stars of this movie because we keep talking about the game show host. Can we talk about how amazing Richard Dawson is in this movie? Oh my God, movie? he's so good in this movie. He, like, he Richard, made performance-wise the best part of this movie. I don't think that's a question. I mean, yeah. I think everybody else has either done you know better work elsewhere. The movie itself stands on, uh, on its own for its sci-fi pedigree, but the, the star... S-T-A-R underline bolded is Richard Dawson. Justin, we polled 100 people. Uh, who is the, the best part of the movie The Running Man? So uh, what is the top answer on the board? Uh, I believe that would be Richard Dawson. Show me Richard Dawson. 100% the best part of this movie. And I love that he is just playing a depraved version of the host of uh, The Family Feud. So, uh, let me ask this question. Okay. <laughs> and I don't know Richard Dawson personally, but... <laughs> Either this is tapping into an element of Richard Dawson that is barely concealed, or he's Daniel Day-Lewis, right? <laughs> like, this is, this is just, it's so magnetic, and yeah. it is so amazing, in a way that it really made me con- reconsider what, what we think of game show hosts are, right? Because they're slightly more charismatic than news anchors, right? Yeah. Uh, but they're certainly not, you wouldn't think that... You know, Chuck Woolery, you know, could step on to a, a movie set and just dominate. And yet here we are with Richard Dawson, obviously in a role that's tailored to him because we know of him in another setting, just crushing it as like the most disgusting, evocative of everything that we distrust about entertainment yes. and politics. Playing the uh the the hideously charming Damon Killian. Hey Killian! Keep in mind that as a game show host, you've got to go out live. And you've got to perform, and you've got a bunch of lines, but then you've got to also ad lib with people. Yeah, um, people and- who and this is the this is the real talent of game show hosts that I don't think they get enough credit for. You have to create rapport and ad lib with people who have never been on television before, who don't have the first fucking idea how to be entertaining. So we take a guy who successfully did that and is considered easily. Easily in top five game show hosts of all time. Oh, I mean, God. I would I, w- I would say you know he's definitely up there uh, with with the greats. Kissing your mom and you're and you're clapping. Uh, yeah, and, <laughs> on the lips too. Hey, by the way, kissing your mom and you're clapping. The uh, the Gil Gerard story is a book that Cargill's going to write. <laughs> See previous episodes oh, for that story. Oh, Gil Gerard tried to fuck my mom. Okay. <laughs> um, fuck Rogers in the 21st century. Am I right? Were you clapping while it was happening? Well, uh, when you're a kid, you're kind of like, I'll trade up to Buck Rogers. Yeah, but so so here... Everyone turned off the podcast. We have seen Richard Dawson getting one, two, maybe in certain rare instances, three takes dealing with people 
uh, on the show, like starting restarting an entire bit all over again if, if there's a malfunction or something. And here he is for the first time in his career that we're familiar working with professional actors, working with a great cast, working with rehearsed bits, and he nails it every time. And the times when he's being that sleazeball, charming asshole that's evil, he's still always the game show host. He's still trying to sell Ben Richards on Ben Richards' own damnation. Yeah. Like yeah. From, from when he first meets him and he's like, look at that beautiful beast. Um, and uh, uh, to, you know, talking him into come on the show, you know, you can get, you know, uh, a pardon. You could get, you know, you could get a reduced sentence, you know, trust me, we'll make a lot of money together. And then at the end, he's like, look, three-year contract, uh, the you know, house go. on the beach. Every time he's always selling and he's always opening a new door. Like, here's what's behind door number three of what Which you Which Monty Hall's have. like, I'll fucking sue you, Richard. Stop getting in my territory. <laughs> uh, yeah, but... Uh, um, but so I really feel like that's why he really works here is there's never a moment. The only moments that he's not selling something is when he's really super pissed. Sure. Um, yeah. and, 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 and even then, it's the seconds before he dies. He's still he has that line. Well, you look pissed, Ben, where it's like, <laughs> like, oh, geez, it, it's so perfect because it's the subversion that works. He could have just, there's a version of this movie where he's just Richard Dawson in front of the cameras. Then you have one or two asides where he's barking at, you know, an assistant. And you have some other television executive that kind of does the heavy lifting as the villain. But it works so much better that he is just that, that the, the, he, is, he is the charming devil on camera and he is the actual devil in the control room. Yeah, and it's funny you mention uh, the way he's barking at the underlings because apparently, according to the IMDBA, that is the one thing that is very sort of autobiographical. I'm telling Richard you, there's Dawson. no way that yeah. that's the a, first time. A lot he's... of people have confirmed that's kind of how he was with underlings. Now, I am one of those rare people who I am 32 years old going on 65 because when I was growing up, I yeah, watched... You just, a, you just dropped a Monty Hall reference for I, fuck's I'm sake. I'm fucking yeah, old inside. They, like, there's a very old man. Like, I was watching reruns of, of that show because it wasn't on anymore when I was fucking 10 years yes. old. Yes, so I watched Game Show Network and Nick at Night, and they have crafted me into the uh, youngest octogenarian you'll ever meet. Um, but one of my favorite things to watch was Match Game. I loved Match Game because it was just about these personalities coming on and just being those personalities. But even when you watch that, you can see how much Richard Dawson hates his contract with the Match Game because he's just not really... You, he has no fucks to give. Like, he's being fucking amazing. But you can tell he's just like, all I want to do is get out of here and get fucking shit-faced before I got to go record the family feud. So I feel like, yes, there is a lot of actual oh, Richard yeah. Dawson in Killian. Hey, Killian! But I, I also want to talk about, uh, you mentioned the cameras and being on camera. I think the biggest science fiction element of this movie is the camera work because we've seen it before where there will be quote-unquote footage of something that happened <laughs> and it's just the movie that we're watching. Yeah. This movie takes it a step fucking further. Not only was there apparently... Were there apparently six cameras inside the helicopter when Ben Richards was uh, commanded to shoot innocent people and he said no, and that's kind of how he got embroiled in all this? They we're, have footage of shit. unarmed. Yes. Yeah. There are women, and, the right. women and children down there. Right, right, real quick, because we got to get back to this the fact that this is a found footage film, apparently, <laughs> right? Uh, but 
apparently he picks up his one-liner habit in prison because like we're introduced to Ben Richards in the most earnest, heroic, like, hey, shoot 150 women and children. No, no, I won't. He has to get taken down by the other people. And then it's like he comes out and he's like, like, whatever, I'm pumping iron here, lifting this. Uh... I'm, I'm quite used to pumping iron. That's what I do. <laughs> but not only do they have that footage, there's a point where they're editing footage of a fight that hasn't even happened yet. There's a fight with him and Captain Freedom that hasn't happened yet in the movie that they're editing footage of. Oh, no, 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 because they shot it before. No, 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 but they they have footage of actual, like, they, they overlay, like, Ben Richards' face on somebody else, but the, the, like, analog that they're using, the raw footage, is him in a fight with Captain Freedom that does no. happen later. No, no. That, no, that footage is actually, that's, I know what you're talking about, and that's the shot of him wrestling with Buzzsaw. It's what? actually, yeah, that the the face overlay that they take takes from the the footage of Buzzsaw um, uh, to uh, uh, he's wrestling around with Buzzsaw. And that's where um, the face, the Arnold face. Yeah. Man, yeah. I got to give credit to Kurt Fuller in that editing room because that even fooled me. Way to go, Kurt Fuller, playing yeah. basically the same role you played in the Wayne's World movies in this film. <laughs> although, although here here is and I was going to bring three, this up. Here's two. my. Here's my one big problem with the 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 with this film. I feel like we're going to have the same problem, but go ahead. Um, okay, so in the previous season, we had uh, Whitman, uh, uh, Price, Whitman, Price, and Haddad. Uh, Isn't that your publishing company? That is my publishing okay. company, Whitman, <laughs> Price, and Haddad. Um, and they're the big winners. And then we find out in the big twist, oh, my God, they were really murdered afterwards. And they just kind of left the corpses down in this old locker room in the city because fuck it. Why not? Yeah. Um, but then when we cut in the footage at the end and we have the big reveal where we show what really happened in the helicopter. And then we're we we're doing the super cut of Killian. Killian. <laughs> we get foot footage of Whitman, Price and Haddad in a room where there was no cameras. Because why would you have cameras pointing at your corpses? Yes. And yeah. they, we get the close-ups that are actually the stills from the movie of when we see it. So much so that one of them that they show you could just tell is, yeah. is a the frozen The tracking frame. lines are at the top and bottom where they paused it. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, and they probably just got it from Pond 5, you know. Yeah, like, I mean. Just, just getting, just it's the one where the corp, corp shot zoom in. <laughs> a movie that is about television that gets so much of that right in that moment, it's kind of like, Really, guys? Where where did you get those images of these? these I, I I have a question. I have a question about right. how the Running Man works. Those guys, quote unquote, won and got sent on this glorious vacation. How do you? And, but at the same time, every time a stalker dies in this movie, the crowd reacts like they've never seen that happen they before. Escape, right? So yeah, they they they, they just they run escaped. away. Yeah, yes. it's the Running Man. You no, keep I running. get that, but like how, they just. I don't understand how you just evade the, the stalker and because, you just get away. Because Arnold always stands and fights. Because he Arnold does. Well, how did those no, fuckers do No, 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 do no. It? But he also, they also, he makes the decision when uh, uh, Homeboy is like, oh, look at the, the satellite uh, dishes. He makes the decision to stick with them when he wants to run. They're yeah. like, no, 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 this is for the resistance. And so now he makes the decision that he's going to be slower and he's going to wind up getting and, into these fights. And theoretically... How it's supposed to work is as you go from zone to zone, if you get out of the zone, you have beat that stalker and then another stalker gets sent to the next zone. Let's talk about those stalkers. Because, by the way, some of those stalkers, fucking awesome people. Yeah, and let's yes. frame this in honor of Richard Dawson in a Family Feud style. Talk 
top five answers on the board. We surveyed 100 people. Who is the greatest stalker in this movie? I want to know what each of your number one answers would be. The Cargill. The greatest stalker? Who's the best stalker in this or movie? Or the coolest actor playing a stalker? Either way. Coolest actor playing a stalker is fucking Jim Brown. Boom. Yeah. Boom. 100%. Like Fireball. Syracuse, Syracuse alum, greatest lacrosse player of all time, uh, uh, did uh, the, the best retirement of any football player ever to sign his retirement contract on the set of, I forget which movie it is. Uh, but Probably yes. Slaughter, I would imagine. Yeah, the, the best, Jim Brown, hands down. But best stalker, Buzzsaw. Oh, the, yeah. the riding a motorbike, swinging dual chainsaws, it doesn't get more awesome 80s than that. I do like the fact, though, that this Richard Dawson, as great as a game show host as he is, cannot remember what the stalkers are called. Because throughout the movie, they call them stalkers, they call them hunters. They even called Jim Brown the leading rusher because he was in the NFL. And that's like, a, <laughs> but it's like, that's not what your fucking combatants are called. They're not called. So throughout this movie, they're just dropping terminology that doesn't really apply to the stalkers. Um, but I have to agree with you. Jim Brown's my favorite of the stalkers. Oh. I, think, I think he's absolutely the greatest. I got to give love to Dynamo. <laughs> Dynamo, <laughs> of course you do. Dynamo. Dynamo, Dynamo loses points because it was the '80s and it was okay for uh, a character to try to rape uh, uh, one of our protagonists. There is that. And there the, is that. Seeing him in his tidy whiteies kind of ruins the effect of how fun Dynamo is. He lights his own applause sign. He does. Yeah. He's he's basically a living embodiment of the light bright. Um, <laughs> but do you do you know this is hey, Christmas tree? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I kept I waiting. His, his friends about to die. Hey, you, you, Christmas hey, come tree. On, light come bulb. on, come on. Come on. Light bulb. Christmas tree. I'm like, just call him a light bright. He is a, yeah. It's the 80s, and he's a fucking <laughs> light bright. But do you know this is the second appearance of that actor on Junk Food Cinema? Do you remember what the first film was? No. He is one of the maniacs in Alone in the Dark. He is. Yes, he's the the quote-unquote child eater. Yes. Which I think is like the same Freddy Krueger thing where it's like, we're going to call him a child killer because the other terminology is a little too dicey. Child even fucker for doesn't yeah. work in our So movie. we're going to call him a child eater. Um, but yes, he has, he was in Alone in the Dark. In fact, in that episode, I believe I referred to him as the belighted gentleman from The Running Man, um, who is an actual opera singer. So when you see him singing his intro, which oh, he's feels, got the chops, yeah. It feels really weird that it's just like, what, how does this relate to being a dynamo? I don't understand. I, I think it's also important to point out that there are no sucky stalkers like even yes. like we haven't mentioned sub-zero yet professor professor tanaka who by the way okay i have so many questions about about this particular uh, sub-zero i have so many questions first of all it's amazing that we get to hear arnold schwarzenegger make ice puns 10 years before he plays mr freeze Ugh. um <laughs> secondly professor tanaka is uh that 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 actor is um hawaiian playing a Japanese character who is a hockey enthusiast. I feel like there's some confu there's some confusion in the junk food cinema food court here. I yeah, but that was very much what the WWF was. Boom. No. At the time. Boom. No, the Iron Boom. Sheik was an Iranian. Like the, okay. at least it was Yo racist, but it made sense. Yokozuna, the great Japanese uh, sumo wrestler was Polynesian. Uh there okay. is a tremendous okay. Mr. Fuji, I believe is also okay. Samoan. But imagine if if that if that Hawaiian Japanese wrestler was also into flamenco dancing. They add another layer of ridiculousness to it that is so far 
You find because me one Japanese person. You find me one city in Japan that is tuning in for the fucking Stanley Cup Finals. It's it's ridiculous. Like it makes no sense oh, whatsoever. Oh, you're gonna get letters for saying I'm that. I'm gonna get letters. No, no. There's people are fucking pissed off in Kyoto. <laughs> like like dude. they have they have baseball. I'm wearing my there. Matt Sundin jersey right now. You son of a bitch. <laughs> dude, they have baseball over there. You think they don't? They've never heard of hockey. Baseball. I get. If he was a baseball player, that would make so much more fucking sense. But they they literally have him dressed as a goalie and then they're like he carves up combatants like sushi and i'm like that's i don't oh the the levels here like the levels of like completely misguided can, can I, racial can, relations can i can i get into my wrestling thing Go for it. Go, i was i was i was tossing that out to you ring the All bell right. son so here's the deal the running man as a story is the perfect execution of what is known in wrestling as the double turn uh, that is when the good guy becomes the bad guy, the bad guy becomes the good guy by the end of it. We understand through all of our shots of the, not only the audience, but the outside, that, Amer that America knows the running man is good, the running man is fun, I like to bet on the running man, my mom loves the running man, and Killian is our hero. By the end of it, we see the double turn. We see Ben, the villainous murderer who murdered 150 people, now becomes the hero, Killian becomes the villain, and it becomes... Uh, so on exactly the same. Uh, uh, Dawson says people love all these things, and in his uh, list of things that America loves, wrestling is one of them. It is. It is certainly not subtle that this is a story about how, through base storytelling, which wrestling is at its best, and this is coming from a huge wrestling fan, uh, that this is the ultimate darkest possible reality. Uh, that that can come from from the power of that kind of storytelling. These guys have their own theme songs. They have their own shows. You know, uh, people have their fa their fan favorites that they're cheering on. This is absolutely WWF inspired. They have their own. Uh, and notice, I say WWF because fuck yeah. there was an because the eighties were full of the F. Because yes. we loved it when <laughs> wrestling was all about saving the pandas. We are WWF in this house. Um, yeah, the the stalkers also have their own choreographed dance. Dance numbers choreographed by fucking Paula Abdul. That's one of the weirdest credits in this movie. Is all the choreography was done by I was Paula say, Abdul? Because I guess that was in her. Was was she? This is in, in her full post. bloom. Was it Laker Girl days or? This would have been, I think, Laker Girl days. This yeah, is this prior is the, to. She this, was late eighties, eighty nine, ninety. This is when post her. her in junior high school. Um, <laughs> the movie. Um, and before. Oh, I thought she, you were just like telling us her academic record. Like this is after she graduated. From no, junior this high is and I going her back prom. to the the gate episode that we talked about a Correct. few weeks ago because yeah. this is the second time we've mentioned Paul Abdul this summer. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because like you watch the all the choreography is really good, and you're like, man, weird. I mean, like th those have to be it was Laker very, girls, right? God, like, God, what would probably what was the uh, what was that show? Solid Gold. Yeah, they were like the Solid Gold dancers. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and this is like it is so. This this movie is so mired in the aesthetic of everything we were watching on TV in 1987, which is what I think makes this such an interesting time capsule. Uh, of a film because it really did take all this and say, what would this look like in 30 years? Does any of it look right? No, not at all. Yeah. But man, does it look the way it would have looked to us in the 80s? If I die, if I die, I will never die. When I die, um, I want, instead of a eulogy, I want a uh, mournful black clothed uh, dance number, much like the one that happens in this movie when Sub-Zero, Fireball, and Buzzsaw go down, and they literally have a choreographed funeral dance. It's so good! It's like and a fucking end, Greek tragedy. In the, 
in the in the in the in, in the pillbox, uh, you know, kind of position. That's yeah. great. It's ridiculous and awesome at the same time. Yeah, yeah. Oh, also, since we've been going through, we have not. There are a few people we've left out. We have not mentioned. This is the second time we've seen Maria Conchito Alonso this this summer. Yep. Uh, uh, she extreme was, prejudice. Yeah, in extreme prejudice, and she's she's really good here. Not as great as extreme prejudice. I feel like this well, performance I mean, is stronger when there. You have a character who's introduced working out in lingerie. You kind of get the sense that they're not going to give her a great arc. They really, they well, except that she does. She because she turns as well. Like, yeah, she but flips. I'm I'm sorry. Like her whole like the entire character in this movie is is very one dimensional, and I still want to know where she hid that tape because there's a line where he's like, "How did you sneak that out?" She's like, "None of your business." I'm like. No, he no, goes, no, where did like you? We, he goes, where did you hide that? And she's like, none of your business. Yeah. I mean, there's only one place I'm going to guess if you answer like that, but I, I really don't want to be the person there's, that gets that. Easily, In my shoe. There's actually three or four places that that could have been hidden. Yeah, pretty So we surveyed 100 people. The top five places Maria Cachito Alonso could have hidden that tape. Uh, uh, I would disagree. I think that she does have a, a, a bit of an arc. She's She's... Uh, involved in a lot. She's involved in a lot of really consequential decisions. She puts them down these certain paths. Uh, But you're right. As soon as you go from, you kind of assume that her role is going to be feeding or sabotaging things from the inside as she kind of sees that things are are, uh, a certain way. Uh, Her getting put out into the field uh, definitely feels like, okay, now you're taking away most of why she was powerful and you're just putting a lady out into this death field. Speaking of, we're talking about ways this movie is prophetic. When they are putting her onto the game field, they slut shame her in a way that oh, feels yeah. very, very internet. Uh, it feels very 2017. Yes, it does. I mean, we're, we're recording this in a week where we finally get our first female Doctor Who and the male's reaction. Ooh, boy. Uh, uh, the, uh, uh, Murdoch's paper's reaction is to publish nude photos of Doctor Who. The fucking mouth-breathing fedora-wearing <laughs> assholes on the internet. Just their tiny little brains and all of the, the Mountain Dew code red that was packed in there just came flooding out of their ears when they found out there was going to be a female Doctor Who. And yeah, so uh, so yeah, come at felt, me, MRAs. That felt that better. That felt very right on. Like it was, and and the way they do it, and what's really what's what's kind of amusing about that scene is like they, you know, you've got the announcer, and the announcer is saying she slept with two, sometimes three different partners in a year. Yeah, and and then they get to this- in, in in defiance of conventional morality. In defiance of conventional morality. And then they say something else like, and then she did this. And and she's like, that one's not true. And it was just like. Oh, that she was Ben's lover. Yeah, that she was Ben's lover. And she goes, that one's not true. And it was like. Wow, so like she's owning the rest of this. Yeah. But uh but it's uh Because apparently the future is is run by the Westboro Baptist Church. They had to find some reason to get the audience to hate her when they blast her down into the cuz like why else would we send this nice woman who wrote the theme song to our network down to be killed by, the by way, a guy with chainsaws? She clearly has like all security access imaginable cuz she writes the the jingles and she's in the room where like they keep Ben Richards raw footage and I'm like Wow, you, your clearance is really well, fucking high. It wasn't like a high clearance room. It was just here's where we keep all the tapes. Like you that's think yeah. they would keep the incriminating evidence in a slightly more secure room. They're the, is they're my the, point. They're the authority. Who's gonna bust <laughs> in on them? The cops? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. It's not like we're it's high. just for Everybody, records. Yeah. It's just here's the unedited tape and here's our edited version that we run on the air whenever we we it's put it on the show. In the same room that Trump would keep the piss tape. Yeah. No. I'm sorry. <laughs> Absolutely. You don't want to know where he hid that. Um, but I I love that when they pull Jesse Ventura's character, Captain Freedom, 
out of retirement, like the slow build to uh, Captain Freedom, you're wanted in wardrobe, and it's like, motherfucker. Yeah. I'm getting was, too old for this shit. That was also so good, though. Oh, the God. fact that he comes in in that horse shit uh, outfit, and you're just, oh, and, that- and his whole issue is like, no. Send me out there. I want to murder no, him. I don't need this bullshit. I, I, I'm not going to murder some random dude. In fact, now that you're making me do it, I'm going to murder your stunt double. How do you like that? I'm that, Captain Freedom. That scene. Thermite paint. That scene is three great performances together that I think is one of the most underrated el- scenes in this movie because he's got that whole thing where he's chewing out Killian and then Killian starts yelling at Sven yep. to fucking, you know, get him get out of here. Out. Of the Sven steroids. played by Sven Olthorsen, who's yes. in almost every Schwarzenegger movie imaginable. And then Sven just like looks at Captain Freedom and you can tell from the look that they're bros yeah. and he just gives him this shrug like, Dude, are you gonna leave or am I gonna get chewed out again? Yeah. Like it's this, it's this like, dude, come on. Don't don't put me in this situation. Look, that just that whole scene just works as a result. Like it's all magic. Cut all three of those guys firing on all cylinders in that scene. Not to mention the fact that it reinforces the true, the one true law of all Schwarzenegger films is that. Just work out with me, and everything will be fine. <laughs> Everybody that works out with Arnold, eh, it's fine. We'll Whatever, you, just we'll come down you. to Gold's in Venice. We'll we'll get a good sweat on. It'll be a fun time. Yeah. If you're not there, you're gonna die in this movie. Come out to the coast, lift a few weights, <laughs> have a few laps. Also, I, we need to mention because we I, we're running out of time, and we still haven't gotten everyone. Mick Fleetwood I would, and yes. Weasel Zappa are Weasel. in this movie. <laughs> like, this if you didn't how- love this movie now, you will never love it again. <laughs> like this movie is just it is it, it is just chock full of, of of cameos and appearances and great people. Like they've got Jim Brown and they do almost nothing with him, and yet Jim Brown is fucking awesome. Yes, like it's this movie's just full of of things like that, and I'm I'm just always every time I watch this movie, I'm just marveling at how much is fit in to such a lean, fun movie yeah. that never gets fucking boring. And, I, uh, no. you know, it, I'm a bad host because I didn't mention this. I'm not Richard Dawson. I can't live up to that expectation. But the guy who wanted to relocate this whole movie to a mall, George B. Cosmatos, ah. the director of both Tombstone and fucking Cobra from last year. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's pretty remarkable. I also love the fact that this movie is the reason that we have American Gladiators. This oh, movie, wow, really? yeah, this movie is the reason that show I was, exists. I was wondering which which came first, the chicken or the egg, there, because obviously there's this. There's a- this is definitely the chicken or the egg. I don't know how that works, um, but um, <laughs> this is the this is the one that came first and got the towel. Yes, gotcha. absolutely. This is the one that came first. And if you look at the uniforms they wear on American Gladiators, the '90s version, it's like, oh, I can totally see it. I mean, you're not in the like if you took if you took Bruce Lee's costume from Game of Death and you put it on a medieval torture rack so that it fit Arnold Schwarzenegger, that's kind of the costume like scheme of this movie. They're basically just wearing that that yellow unitard from Game of Death. But then you look at the unitards that wear on American Gladiators and it's like, I see that. Not only that, but if you look at the ridiculous names of the gladiators on American Gladiators, it's like, oh my God, connect the dots. That's why that exists in the oh, first yeah. place. Yeah, it that's sure is. That's fucking crazy. And we also didn't mention who... Man, there's so much to talk about with this movie. We haven't there even really mentioned is. who did the music for this movie. Which is? Harold Faldermeyer, fucking Beverly Hills Cop himself. In giving what I think is, I think this is a perfect m- amalgam of what you love and hate. This is score in a box, 
but this is the single greatest score in a box ever yeah. made. I can't even think of it as score in a box because it's it's, it's so good. It's score in a synth. It's it's like you pushed a button on your synthesizer and you got a score out of it. It's not just a, a crappy Casio from the nineties. Like this is like the Japanese the cosmic key Japanese synthesizer from Masters of the Universe. If you push a button on that and it scores your entire movie, that's the score for the running man. Not to mention the fact that there is a a John Parr song at the end of this movie, much like there's a John Parr song in uh, um, Near Dark. So it's like you form all these fucking junk food connections. That song at the end of this movie is fucking ridiculous. It has nothing to do with the movie. No. And it's still awesome. No more lonely nights <laughs> with a restless heart. Roll the dice. It's like, what, what do these lyrics mean? It doesn't matter at all. I, I love it. I absolutely fucking this, love it. This movie is nonstop entertainment from beginning to end. Like, it just, it just, I think the slowest scene in this movie is the one shot of Arnold Schwarzenegger walking away through a dystopian wasteland smoking a cigar. Like, that's literally the only time this movie slows down. Because after that, it's just, it's bam, bam, bam. There's no fucking fat on this thing. It is constantly either being exciting or funny. And you're in it. You're in it the whole way. Well, through. that's why it's not called the Meandering Man. It moves. <laughs> this fucking it, plot moves. It, it really through all three movies of this movie. It moves. Although uh, it is an alternate reality where J.J. Abrams did not make uh, new Star Trek movies. Thank you for mentioning that. <laughs> Thank you because there is a moment in this movie where Mick Fleetwood mentioned Star Trek and one of his uh, his cohorts is like, what? He calls, like, calls him Mr. Who's, Spock. Who's yeah. Mr. Yeah. Spock? And it's yeah. like, okay, um, tw- this is currently 2017, in case you didn't know, uh, and they're about to put another Star Trek series on TV this year. This fucking year. So, it's yeah, that's the one thing this movie got wrong, is that Star Trek would have a lasting legacy that would carry it into the 21st century. Like Gilligan's Island, I could see a millennial being like, wait, what's Gilligan's Island? This movie thinks... This movie thinks the love boat is more of a lasting cultural touchstone than Star Trek. <laughs> well, that is, to be fair, That's it's crazy. only in the background with the hate boat. That's crazy. I'm just saying. But the hate boat in this world is still on TV. In this universe, Star Trek is a distant memory. Therefore, they think the love boat is more of a lasting cultural touchstone than Star Trek. That's really the one thing they get wrong. So we can't blame them too much. Uh, let me ask you a question, because I was talking to Brian before I came over here about the the dichotomy between this movie and RoboCop. Which do you think is more cynical about the future, RoboCop or The Running Man? RoboCop, but RoboCop is cynical and then gets so much of it right. Like I don't know. I think that's I think that's a tough call to make because they I both get a lot right. I, well, besides it, it, it's accuracies, right? Let's okay. understand that certainly in in the eighties there was a a great thought about you know in a uh, Cold War, everybody can die because of you know mutually insured uh, uh, destruction. Uh, you know this this dark kind of thought was sort of in vogue, right? But I think like RoboCop certainly has RoboCop has the dis- the the, the uh, uh, corruption on a very granular level. It is like city and state, right? Like theoretically, there's another city in the RoboCop world where things are maybe a little bit better than they are where we're seeing our heroes play out their story. You get the sense with the running man that like, this is the world. But It'll- here's, here's why I think RoboCop is more cynical. I think okay. it is, this is uh 1984 versus brave new world. 
Um, okay. In The Running Man. Oh, somewhere my AP English teacher's head is exploding. Yes. That we are comparing those two works of literature to The Running Man and RoboCop. I love this show! That's what you get on junk food cinema. I love this show. Because in, um, uh, in The Running Man, it is a fascist regime. It yeah. is the government has gone to shit. Uh, the world has gone to shit and the government has stepped up and the government has made everything shitty. But you see the people are still embracing things like they're, you know, even this girl who's a a a she's she's one of the good girls. She works for the government TV station. Yeah. She has all this bootleg stuff. And she says, everybody has this everybody's stuff. got it. Yeah. Everybody cheats. Everybody's doing that uh, because it's the government that's bad, not people. Yeah. In RoboCop. Everybody is asking for it. They're asking for this. You know, they want the world to be the way it is. They're just asking for more of it. They're asking for, you know, more corporate involvement in their police force. They are, they are, they are bought into this. This is their world. They are not rebelling against this world. The only rebelling we see happening in the world is the police are threatening to walk off because they're the, the, the OCP isn't doing enough to protect them. And now they're bringing on fucking robots to replace them. So we're going to fucking walk. Yeah. Um, that's what bothers them, not other elements of the world. And that's why I think RoboCop is far more cynical because RoboCop uh, argues that we are complicit in our dystopian future, not victims of it. Tell you what, interesting. Well said. Wow. Well right. said. Fair enough. I also uh, think it's interesting that in the book, Ben Richards joins Running Man voluntarily to earn money to save his family. Like The book is actually a lot more cynical than the movie because in the book, he Stephen joins... King? No. Yeah, I know. What? No. He, Stephen oh. King has, has great storytelling and cynical uh, ideas no. going on. It's also, so weird. Hilariously, no. in the book, it's not just California that is the setting of the Running Man game because of an earthquake. It's the entire eastern seaboard. So at some point, you can guess what town in Maine he ends up in. Um, <laughs> but, Castle Rock. Or Derry. Um, so what's interesting, though, is that he does it voluntarily to <laughs> Wait, earn money. He wrote the book. I never read the book. He, wrote the, he writes the book as Richard Bachman and then ends it and has a, a scene in Derry. Main? Yeah, you don't have to be CSI to figure that shit out. <laughs> I, I, it's just me in my, in my Groucho Marx nose and glasses <laughs> writing I, this book, Richard I, Bachman. If I remember correctly, isn't Running Man in his last Bachman book, the book where he actually officially kills off Bachman because he'd already been found he out? kills off Bachman. You, oh, no, no, he Christ. did. Like they, they, I know, I believe you. I just think that's fucking stupid. No, no, when they when he got discovered, it was a big joke. It was a big gag where he had his publicist announce that, that Richard Bachman had died. Was like, hit by a van? It was, it, uh, no, it too was real. some too funny, real? Sorry. It was some funny way he died. I'm forgetting how he died, but they, uh, they officially killed off Richard Bachman. Like oh, Richard wow. Bachman, according to Richard Bachman's agent, had died, and this was to be his last book. And I, I want to say Running Man was part of that last book. Because everyone knew King was Bachman. He had already, like, you know... Uh, and that Bachman is King! Yeah. <laughs> uh, I also... Well, I do have one big issue with this movie, and I'm surprised you didn't have this issue, Cargo, because it's almost the exact same issue that you had with Predator, in that I, as much as I love the one-liners, because the punmanship is just top-notch, and I will forever defend that, you have a character... You have a character in Ben Richards that is in this predicament in the first place... Because he refuses, even though he's a good soldier, he refuses to kill innocent women and children. Killing for him is is a job. He's a soldier. He doesn't revel in it. And yet, and then there's even a moment in this movie where Dynamo is like completely helpless and he could kill him, 
but he doesn't to make the point that killing is not just a thing that I'm hardwired to do. So why every time when he kills a different stalker, does he like go off in like spades about like this oh. and that and all these jokes? And I'm like, that to me feels counter to what this character is supposed to be. I 100% agree. It is a problem that I have with this film, but it's a problem that you have to kind of, um, it's not as glaring as it is in Predator, because Predator, the tone of the movie is not the this satirical tone that this is. This is true. Here, this is just something you have to kind of shrug off as, is it the worst part of the movie? I think it is. I think every time he goes to deliver a one-liner, it undercuts how cool the rest of the movie is. It's still fun, it's still Arnold, but Arnold's very much mired. He's in that era where he's like, I need to do the one-liners and things of this nature. It needs to. It just needs to be funny and it needs to pop and that's what people will say outside of the movie. But, but but you're right, because we as an audience are falling in love with Arnold Schwarzenegger, the movie star, as the television audience is falling in love with Ben yes. Richards. The, it's just, it's the, a little hard to By the swallow. way, talk about another 2017 thing, movie stars starring on television and overperforming compared to their expectations. Wow. Very prophetic, this movie. I live to see you eat that contract, but I hope you leave enough room for my fist because I'm going to ram it into your stomach and break your goddamn spine! Which brings us to the junk food pairing. The junk food pairing. And I had a couple different ways I could go with this because another thing that this movie gets spectacularly wrong for everything that gets right is it uh, It predicts a world in which uh, Coors Extra Gold is still a beer that has stuck around to 2017. <laughs> if you can find me a can of Coors Extra Gold, mail it to Junk Food Cinema. No, because he will no drink it. Way. He will drink it as a I challenge. Will. I will drink it. It's, it's the echo cooler <laughs> of beers. Um, no, so instead, instead of that, I went with the clear, clear Coca-Cola analog, Cadre Cola. Drink Cadre Cola, which is such a great dystopian thing where it's like, everybody drink this, one of us, one of us. And of course, Killian, hey, Killian! himself ends up being murdered by smashing into his own billboard where he is promoting Cadre Cola. And I was like, you know, that's such a nice, fine point to put on this movie where like corporations have run such a muck that the most powerful man in the country who is a game show host gets destroyed by his own promotion. I love that. So drink yourself a big can of Cadre Cola because um, future's not getting any better, folks. That hit the spot. There you go. Thank you so much for being here, Justin. Uh, yeah. tell, tell us again uh, where we can find you. Tell, uh, pl plug all the things. All right. So if you uh, want more of me, go ahead to at Justin R. Young on Twitter. Uh, I do a million different shows up to and including comedy, wrestling, politics, whatever. Just search me on iTunes, find the one that you want. He's got a great show called Night Attack with Brian Brushwood. That's if you it. enjoyed Brian, watch them, and occasionally I pop in and say hello. Indeed, indeed. We always love whenever Cargill shows up. And of course, the Kickstarter Action News. If you like social card games, uh, board game nights with your friends, uh, it is the perfect Kickstarter. Go ahead and check that out. ActionNewsGame.com Which, again, if it's successful, you will do Running Man the Home Version. I must insist that you do Running Man the Home version. Uh, I'll tell you what, and let's go to footage of that live right now. <laughs> you know what? Uh, before I get to, to to my thing, I need to say this question has been asked of us several times on the mailbag. I'm amending it. Oh, shit. Why don't we have a Running Man video game? That's a really good question. <laughs> like, I want a Running Man video game. Where is the NES Running Man? Come on. I'll tell All right. Let me ask, just because everything eventually in our lifetime will be rebooted, uh, what would be the best way to reboot Running Man? Movie, a television, a long-running television show, or like a, a, a limited six-episode Netflix kind of series. 
Yeah, you know what? A Netflix series focusing on the stalkers. Yes! Uh, like you know, sorry, I sounded like Killian and, and dealing with their lives, living in this dystopian America, and then and then being you know these slayers. Um, Every episode's a different stalker. Every episode's a different stalker. But we also get to meet some of these criminals and see that these guys on the that are the contestants really are fucking awful. Are scumbags. And yeah. if they get out, click, 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 click. they I'm get free. The click, 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 click. Yeah. And so killing them is actually not the worst thing in the world. I think that would be the way to reboot. Because like, you watch this, and obviously, listen, this is here as a star vehicle because of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's why it was popular, and everything else that is around it makes it special, but it's not why it's there. This is a great science fiction universe that deserves more love, and I, I, I hope there is more to be done with it. And, and you know who you know you know who has to host the Running Man Netflix show? Who? It's got to be Ryan Seacrest. I was actually going oh! to. I no 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 oh, no no, no no. I was going to suggest 2017's Richard Dawson, uh, which is of course. Um, now I've completely blanked on his Steve name. Harvey. At midnight, oh, uh, Chris Hardwick. Chris, Chris Hardwick, Hardwick is is of course our Richard Dawson. So I feel like if I don't know. I feel like Steve Harvey's the one who's really getting that work. Steve, <laughs> Steve Harvey's the one who's doing nineteen shows. Yeah, but I want like, I want all of the lines to be delivered correctly based on what's in the script. So <laughs> I'm gonna go with Chris Hardwick. Well, if we want somebody detestable, then then maybe Steve Harvey's. The I mean, I feel like Steve Harvey. Have you listened to him talk about evolution ever? No, no because he's <laughs> Steve Harvey. And I don't give a shit what he thinks about evolution. Did you evolution. read that? Backstage note, like like nobody no, talks to me. Harvey. <laughs> Tell you what, he's a, there's a little Killian in Steve. I Harvey. think I, I think Seacrest Seacrest is in on the joke. I think Seacrest would fucking kill in that See, role. I, I, yeah, as there's a little as... there's a little Killian in all of us. I would like to say. Cargill, where can people find you on the You can find me on the Twitters, uh, at Massaworm, M-A-S-S-A-W-Y-R-M, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash Massaworm. Also, September 5th, uh, the new book comes out, Sea of Rust. Uh, the reviews are starting to trickle in. People dig it. Uh, if you are out and about in the world, there are a lot of places you can find me. You can find me in Honolulu Comic Con at the end of July. You can find me here in Austin at Armadillo Con the, the following weekend, beginning of August. You got at a Comic Con in Hawaii? Yep. You son of a bitch. Uh, son of a bitch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you can see us at Junk Food Cinema Live in Omaha. You can also August see 12. us at Armadillo Con because we'll be doing Prince of Darkness live at Armadillo Con. Nice. Yes, we will. Uh, and then, of course, you can find me as a guest at Dragon Con in the beginning of September, where I will oh. be appearing oh. as a guest. I have already been invited to we be have, on the Night Attack show at Dragon Con. We have never. It is. It is a crime against humanity that. We have never been at a con together. And finally, that gets it's rectified. Gonna, it's going to get rectified. I feel very comfortable con. with you looking at Cargill and saying the words crime against humanity. <laughs> I thought rectify was going to be the one that was going to rectify, tighten your sphincter. So, yes, you can. Where can we find you, Brian? I don't fucking know. Armadillo Con, Omaha. I'm on Twitter at uh, Bry Guy Salisbury, at Junk Food Cinema. Uh, speaking of things getting more love, uh, you can go to iTunes and rate and review us. We would love that. You can uh, contribute to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Junk Food Cinema. That uh, really helps with. Uh, with all of the diapers that I have to buy, so I appreciate that. Uh, Justin, thank you so much for being here. Mm -hmm. Really appreciate that. And uh, let's wrap up the show in the usual fashion uh, by just reminding you that um, uh, I, I have no idea. I, I don't have a line to go out on, which makes me far less impressive a host uh, than Richard Dawson. But do you, do you guys have a good line to go out on here? A good one-liner? Oh, my God. Wait. Did we not mention that I'll be back? <laughs> is this a line in this movie? It is. Therefore, we'll be back <laughs> after these messages. No more loaded nights With a restless heart Roll the dice
brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.